This morning we're continuing on with our sermon series asking that question of how's your walk? And the question I really want to ask today uh, for us to answer in our own way is this, how does God expect us to walk? And we're going to answer that from a passage in Micah because there is a practical aspect uh, to the Christian life that we are called to make a difference in our walk uh, when we walk with God through our lives with other people. We do not just live a vertical faith, a vertical relationship with God. That relationship with God is demonstrated in how we treat uh, other people, how we treat one another. Uh, the biblical definition of walking, as we know, is to follow a particular course through for which us as believers is obedience to the Word of God. And the Word of God teaches us uh, two really main things. And Jesus spoke about these in the New Testament um, when he simply said, the two most important commandments were to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind, but also to love your neighbour as yourself. And those are the two main things that make up the, the Christian life, the walk that we have, this journey that we're on. And so the passage that we're going to look at today, Micah, there is a standard in a sense which God expects from those who, who follow him, from those who, who live according to his word and to his truth. And it's almost his standard of goodness of what is to be expected of us as believers as we walk and so we're going to be looking at Micah chapter 6 and the first eight verses and it simply says this it says listen to what the Lord says stand up plead my case before the mountains let the hills hear what you have to say hear you mountains the Lord's accusation listen you everlasting foundations of the earth for the Lord has a case against his people he is lodging a charge against Israel my people what have I done to you how have you I burdened you answer me I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Bor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And it's really the focus this morning is really on that final verse there, uh, which is said, he has shown you a more to what is good. And what does the Lord require of us to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God? And so we're going to be looking at the whole area of, of humility this morning, particularly the idea of what does God expect? How does God expect us to walk? He expects us to walk humbly. And those are the instructions that are given clearly in this passage to 
God's people. You see, if we talk about humility, and it's often a subject we don't like to talk about because it simply means not to be proud or arrogant, uh, not to believe in your own abilities in a sense, not to boast and that, but to see yourself as you truly are before God. Uh, that simply you look at yourself through the way that God sees you. C.S. Lewis said this, and I thought this was a great quote. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I read this other quote, and I thought this sums up well with the passage that we're reading uh, today. This, uh, the true spirit of humility is a pure dependence on God. And the final quote that I've got for us in this introduction is this one that simply says, being humble means recognizing that we are not on earth to show how important we can become, but to see how much difference we can make in the lives of others. Somebody wrote this poem that said, humility is a slippery prize that seldom can be won. We're only humble in God's eyes when serving like his son. The context that this is written in is that Micah has pictured to the Israelites, to the readers here, a court of law where Israel is on trial before God because they've disobeyed him and they've rebelled against him. And Micah opens up saying, in the presence of the unshakable witnesses, like mountains, the hills, the strong foundations of the earth, the case is presented as it would be in a court of law. The people are charged with this, that they've rejected God and disobeyed his laws. God simply asks them, he says, have I failed you? Uh, have I neglected you in some way? Uh, have I not loved you? Have I not provided for you? Uh, and the people's response is to focus on their external religion, to simply say, well, if we could just sacrifice this, would it be enough? Well, you know, if we could give this, would it be okay? They, they ask God, uh, would he be satisfied with more burnt offerings uh, of calves, offerings that are required in the law? They also ask him if they should bring thousands of rams with 10,000 uh, rivers of oil. Uh, and such an offering could only be made by somebody who was incredibly rich. And they keep asking these questions. They ask another one when they say, you know, whether they should actually offer their firstborn son, would God be pleased with that sacrifice? And verse 8 follows because it simply says, he says, he has told you, oh man, what is good. He has told you what he expects from you. In other words, Israel simply should have known, the people should have known the answer to the question, what does God require from them? And it's really this in walking, in their journey, in their life, God requires three things from them. And often we treat it difficult. We make it difficult on ourselves. And, and God has treated them with kindness. He's treated them with love and provision. He hasn't neglected them, and he simply gives them what God expects in their walk. And often at times we can treat it like a mystery, like God is hiding something from us, what he expects from us or what he requires of us. But actually it's not too difficult here. Well, God presents to them as to what he expects them to do. This could be summed up in six words. When it says this, it says to act justly, Love mercy, to walk humbly, all of those incredible practical things there, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. And it's really that final one that I really want to focus on because in our walk with God, as I said at the beginning, we must be uh, aware of two things. 
The first one must be our worship towards God, but also our care and concern towards others, particularly those who are poor and needy. You see, public worship is only a small part of our expression of our commitment to Christ. Demonstrated in that worship is a concern and a commitment for the poor and the needy to look after people that maybe aren't as well off as we are to take care of people that needed to be taken care of. It's one of the things that the law expresses in the Old Testament. And God was looking for that response from his people because they were his covenant people. They were the people of his promise. It was bad enough that they mistreated and disobeyed obeyed God but what was worse was their wickedness towards other people and elsewhere in Micah it tells us that they basically couldn't wait to get out of bed in the morning to fulfill the plans of evil that they had plotted through the night against other people that's how wicked the people had become and God suddenly stops them here as Micah presents this court case And he simply says, this is what you're charged with. This is what God expects of you. And they have to move towards that. You see, when the rabbis analysed the law, they found 613 precepts, which is a commandment or direction given as a rule of action or conduct, almost saying to them, this is the way God expects you to walk. Now, it would be impossible for even the most religious person, for even the most pharisaical person, even the most devoted person to keep those 613 precepts or commandments. Uh, And so as we move through the Old Testament, we see that when we come to Psalm 15 they're actually broken down into 11 principles and we're just going to read quickly just Psalm 15 because this gives us an idea of what does God expect from us in our walk when it says Lord who may dwell in your sacred tent who may live on your holy mountain it tells us doesn't it the one whose walk is blameless who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbour, casts no slur on others, who despised a vile person but honours those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts, who does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent, whoever does these things will never be shaken. And so there there are but these principles are presented in the walk that we have before God uh, and what is interesting as I read this and is evident in this passage that they're all practical things they're all behavioral things they're all, they're all things that we must do it says if we want to have a blameless walk before God Isaiah goes even further in Isaiah uh, chapter 33 verse 15 he, he reduced to six commandments that verse says those who walk righteously and speak what is right who reject gain from extortion who keep their hands from accepting bribes who stop their ears against plots of murder shut their eyes against contemplating evil 
It's almost like we're building up to these six words in Micah that he is condensed into uh, what God expects from us on our walk. When he's gone from the beginning of 613 commandments, in a sense, to 11 principles, to six commandments, and all of them are so practical that have to do with the behavior of us on our walk. That what does God expect from us on our walk? He expects us to have a blameless walk. He expects us to have a walk that shows no appearance of evil. He expects us to have a walk that is different with the, as we said in the first week, that we're not called to blend in, we're called to stand out. How do we stand out as believers? Well, we don't necessarily always stand out in how we worship, but we do definitely always stand out in how we live. And if in scripture, if living is tied in with the way that we walk, then we have to take notice of that. And you see, Micah comes here and he simply condenses the final things into six words when he says, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. It's interesting, the Bible does not make transformation of us dependent on how clever we are. It's a good thing that God doesn't give us a, an intelligence test in a sense sometimes as to whether we would fit in to his family, into his kingdom. Even in the words of one of the songs that were sung this morning, in my father's house, there's a place for me. And that's the truth of it for anybody listening uh, today, for anybody watching this today. That's the, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also the truth of the church as well, that this is God's house and there is a place for everyone and it's not based on intelligence but one thing that it is based on when God transforms our life and changes us from the inside out he changes not only what we believe because the most important thing about what we believe at the beginning is accepting what he's done for us through his son Jesus Christ on the cross and in that believing it changes our life but in changing our life it changes our belonging and that's where we come to this point of in our father's house as a place for us but also importantly that it also changes our behavior which has to do with our walk and you see with our walk if it changes our behavior the first thing we discover in our walk is that actually we walk humbly before God why do we walk humbly because there is nothing that I could have done to earn to work for to pay for what God has done for me by sending his son Jesus Christ on the cross God is not waiting for me to volunteer with a list of my abilities and all the things that I could do for him. I come before him humbly. I walk before him humbly. That actually, rather than listing the gifts and the talents that I have, God is more important. God is more interested in how I act. Do I act justly towards others? Do I love mercy? Do, do I promote grace? Uh, do I walk humbly before him? Because walking humbly is a description of the heart attitude that we must have towards God, but also towards others. As I say, God's people depend on him. We depend on him and him alone, rather than our own abilities. Instead of taking pride in what we bring to God, we humbly recognize that no amount of personal sacrifice can replace a heart committed to justice and to love. That's really what Micah is saying to the people. It's the end of the court case. And he's simply saying, of all 
the things that you've got wrong here, this is the main thing. You think it's all about the sacrifice. You think it's all about how many burnt offerings you bring. You think it's about all the things that you bring uh, almost that meet the religious requirement. And actually, Micah is saying to them, actually, that's not what God requires from you. God requires these six things, which is to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly because it's the response of a right heart. The response of a right heart is outward and that we act justly towards others. It's inward in that we love mercy and it's upward because it says walk humbly. We walk humbly in our life. But Micah adds this, he doesn't say this, he doesn't say be humble. He doesn't just say walk humbly. He says this, he says walk humbly with your God. His advice pointed to the need for faithful dependence upon God. These people had rejected God. They disobeyed God. Micah's bringing them back and is simply saying, this is the way you behave towards others. But most importantly, this is the way you're supposed to walk. Not just walk humbly, but walk humbly before God. Because it's a description of the heart's attitude. You see, God's people depend on him rather than their own abilities. And that's what we must do as we come this morning. You see, in the face of such overwhelming love and acceptance and mercy, how can we not walk humbly with God? As we recognize that all we have is down to the unearned grace, mercy, and call of God. It's no wonder Paul writes these words when he writes to both the Ephesians and the Colossians when he says, forgive as God forgave you. The, the, the simply what we do to others is what has been done towards us. Has God acted justly towards you and me? Yes. Has God shown mercy to you and me? Yes. Has God shown his love towards you and me? Yes. What does God require of us? He requires in our walk that we show that to others. Not just in a sense of, oh, well, that's all our worship is about. Because our worship is about that which we present to God from our heart and our heart attitude, but also how we treat others, how we show our concern for those that are poor and needy. So the challenge for us in our walk today, and this is a hard one because humility is a tough one. Somebody once said, humility is that which you think you've got. The minute you think you've got it, you've lost it. And it, that's true of humility because we look at it and think to ourselves, he says, well, if I could just attain that. He said, it's not a gift to attain. Uh, it's a characteristic that we have as we walk through life. And Micah comes and tells us, well, walk humbly before God. And you see, we recognize that we can do nothing in a sense. We just simply choose to follow. We walk humbly with God, not lagging behind him, not running ahead of him, but walking with him hand in hand. And we recognize that we can do nothing. We choose to follow. This was the problem with the people here. They had a choice and they could tie it up here rather than following the commandments and the rules and precepts, which were almost impossible for all to keep. God simply says, this is what I require of you. These six words, please do these. You see, we're never promised an easy road. And we're never promised a journey that won't be without its difficulties and its trials and its troubles. But we are promised this, that God will remain with us through the duration of the journey. 
And I don't know what you're walking through uh, this morning as you watch this. I know some people who are watching this are, are walking through some serious health issues today. It says God is with you and he's walking through you with those health issues. I know some people have a job worries or have lost their job and see God is concerned and he's walking with you through those situations and those circumstances what concerns your job. He says anything that you are feeling today, whether it be anxiety today, whether it be depression today, whatever you are going through today, God is walking with you through the difficulties and the trials and the troubles that you are facing. He is with you for the duration of the journey, both as a guide in front of you and a supporter by the side of you. You see, we are promised this because God has already shown us how much he loves us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And in that, we are given that life and peace and joy as we follow God in our walk. And I know there were some people watching this this morning and we give you that opportunity as we do every Sunday. He says, if you want to become a Christian, if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, and he says, you are able to do that right here, right now on your own, as you watch uh, this service this morning from your home, that God loves you. He sent his son, Jesus, to show that. Jesus went to the cross so you could be forgiven. And even though that happened thousands of years ago, the effect of that, the result of that is the fruit of that is on this day, you can give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. And he can turn your life around. He can begin a walk with you in your life that will change your life for the better altogether. And so we come this morning at the end of this third part and just take upon our dependence upon God because he loves us, for us to walk humbly before him, to act justly, to love mercy. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you for your love towards each and every person that's here, that's watching, that's listening. The Father God, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus for us. And Father, in that sending, you wanted to begin a relationship. You wanted us, Father, to walk with you through this journey in life. And Father, through this journey, Father, it wouldn't just be about how we worshipped you, but it would also be as an extension of that, the demonstration of the love and concern that we would have for other people that we would show them that we cared, that we would show them that we loved them, that we would show them that we could help them. Because Father, that's what you expect from us. And God, your promise of your word is we do because you have done for us. And we thank you for that this day. In Jesus' name, amen.